0: Don't, don't talk. You will never be the same. And for the full catastrophe, he didn't mean it was all bad. God, oh, that I worship a way of saying, don't play with if I invite you to the dance, to the dance with the Lord of the Dance. God didn't call America to do what she's doing in the world. Hello everybody and welcome to this new sermon video here at uh, Unfinished Community. Now what you're about to see is a sermon that you've heard parts of before. Uh, As many of you know, I've been doing some doctoral studies and one of the things I've been doing has been taking some of my older sermons or stuff that I've preached for you before and getting feedback on them and learning more about how sermons are meant to be done and how they can be done better and then refining them and resubmitting them this particular sermon i did for you all back in march as part of our casual sermon series and as i told a lot of you in the discord server i submitted it to this class as one that i wanted to take another swing at because it was good but i thought it was something we could always do better and that's what we're doing here today this is the revised and updated version of standing in wait which is a sermon i delivered for you again back in march uh this is not delivered to you specifically for anyone sunday this is really just an extra sermon you don't have to watch it if you don't want to but if you choose to i'm glad you're here and you know you know me i'm always going to make anything i do available for you all in the hopes that this time with god's word can in some way help. So if it does, great. If not, hit the next button. I'm sure there will be another video along before too long. Our first reading today comes from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If, if Saul hears of this, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab, and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Our New Testament reading today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter five, verses eight. 14. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look, every, every once in a while, usually when you least expect it, someone will inadvertently tell you exactly who they really are. I mean, we, we see this in life all the time, right? I mean, we might have known somebody for only a short time, or maybe there's someone we've known for our entire lives, and then just one day, out of the blue, they'll say or do something that shows us some odd, terrible, or just plain strange dimension to who they are as a person, something we could never have expected. Maybe it was our, our, our gently conservative uncle, one day suddenly going on a racist, bigoted rant against immigrants and refugees. Maybe it was an old friend, maybe from high school, who decides one day that they have to tell you with unwavering certainty that all medicine is poison and vaccines will turn you into a gay autistic penguin, or something like that. (laughs) We've all known somebody like that, right? Maybe it's just somebody you happen to know who, in the middle of a conversation, some issue or another unironically drops the phrase wake up sheeple right into the conversation oh man look i know i know we're supposed to be all reverent about the scripture and whatnot but i kind of get this feeling from what we hear from paul in ephesians today i mean not only do we literally get this whole sleeper awake thing almost 2000 years before the invention of the tinfoil hat but from here Going forward, Paul goes into all kinds of very specific, detailed instruction about how everyone should live their lives. And it's full of the sort of judgmental language we kind of expect from something like that. And it's also got some of the greatest misogyny in the Bible. This is the same place, by the way, that we get the whole wives submit to your husbands bit from, after all. Now, look, it's a tough read. And yeah, it's tough, even when it's taken in its original context. And yes, in the interest of fairness, there's a lot that can be said about how much of this passage may be later editorial editions. Preachers for generations also have been doing their, their homiletical best to water down Paul's tone here, to soften it a bit. But look, if we're being honest, like really honest, this section here doesn't just come across as being weirdly judgmental. But it comes across as exactly the same kind of judgmental that many, many, many of us have experienced from the church throughout our lives. <laughs> How many times have we been told, condescendingly at best and with a frothing vitriol at worst, that we need to wake up as some form of harsh judgment? How often have we been told, That we need to wake up from our supposedly sinful lives, even though all we're really doing is being nice to each other and playing Pokemon or whatever. I mean, how often have we been told, as Paul says here in Ephesians, that we need to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, only to look into that darkness and just see loving couples who aren't hurting anybody, immigrants and refugees just trying to live a better life, or, you know, survive, people playing video games and having fun and learning and growing and being together as people united in the love of Christ? I mean, how often are these unfruitful works of Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The things that are condemned by those in seats of authority who are preaching instead a gospel of hatred, bigotry, war, impatience, cruelty, tight-fisted miserliness. You know, economic conservatism, if you prefer. And then rage and unrestrained and a worship of power. You know, it is so terribly common for people to take what Paul is saying here and then base the fullness of their authority, the fullness of their understanding about how everything in life is meant to work on this, the rantings of just this one guy who wasn't Jesus and definitely rejected the authority of the church that Jesus founded as he's writing a single letter to a single church. And the only reason they have for that is because of the the judgmental way that he put things then backs up and reinforces the desire that we all have to draw clear and unambiguous lines around who is and who isn't righteous, blessed, and loved by God. But, you know, when we start building our worldview out of places of judgment, uh, even when that judgment comes from the pages of the Bible itself, This leads us to a place where we start to think we know exactly who and what God wants. And as so many of us have seen over the years, this mindset tends to result in a lot of people being quietly, or sometimes all too loudly, being paradoxically, shown the door in the name of the God of infinite reconciliation, honorable grace, and unfailing love. (sighs) Of course, you know, just because we've been sent out the door, just because we've been cast out into the fields, because we don't reflect that narrow image of what people in power think is appropriate, you know, that doesn't mean that God doesn't actually want us. Yes, I know, quite a lot of us, have been told that God's house is not open to us, but the joy and unity of a diverse community of people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages like we see in Revelation, but this is just not achievable. This is not reasonable. It's just not possible for us to be who we are and be welcomed in the community because in that worldview that is formed and based on judgment, unity can only be based on conformity. And, you know, when it comes out that we are unwilling to surrender everything that defines who we are, when we are unwilling to exchange our unalterable uniqueness for the khaki conformity of American evangelical culture, we are told that it must be that truly in the deepest recesses of our hearts and minds and souls, eh, we must never have actually wanted to really be a part of church in the first place, right? I mean, oh my Lord, what an amazing example of gaslighting that is, by the way, to cast people out of the Christian community entirely while saying in the same breath that they're the ones who rejected God and the church. (laughs) The truth is, though, we all know in the deepest corners of our hearts that every single person, every one of us, longs for that space of togetherness with other people we want to join with each other in praise and worship of our Creator to learn side by side with friends and family to share jokes to to share life and then to welcome other people into a space built on God's impossible love and when, when we're told that this place is not our place that God's house is not our house and that we cannot be who God made us not if we mean to walk through those doors Oh God! It can honestly be devastating, and we all reject. We all react, you know, to that rejection in different ways. Some of us, quite understandably, turn away from the church entirely and start seeking community and fellowship in other places instead. Other people, you know, like me, for example, tend to get a little bit indignant about the whole thing, and then dedicate our lives to to fighting back, trying to reclaim some small measure of space within the Christian community, not just for ourselves, but for all of those who have been pushed out of the community of God, even, and even when, it costs us. So, you know, we take up that banner. We take up the banner of God's justice, firm in that scriptural conviction that the church must be open to all, and we try to make it happen. And you know, as as desperate a cause as that might seem from time to time, it actually is starting to happen. Conversations about inclusivity are happening all across the country, indeed all around the world, in churches big and small. Look, obviously, It's not happening everywhere. But so many churches these days are talking about how to be anti-racist, how to open the doors to immigrants and refugees, how to bring in the poor and the hungry, and how to find room among them for members of the LGBTQIA community. Welcoming is the word I hear used most by pastors, churches, and all the others who have started trying to make space for everyone who has historically been unable to find a place in our communities. And look, I'm not gonna lie. It's been a fight just trying to get things this far, right? I mean, how many of us along this road have found ourselves locked in discussions, arguments, even screaming matches with friends and family and people of our communities fighting just to get that one scrap of presence? that single brief moment of divine acceptance that is summed up in that one shining word, welcome. I mean, it makes sense, of course, that we would fight so hard for that. We all long for connection, even though we are all just a little bit alone. And simply being welcomed into a place of connection, a place of community, it's like like a warm blanket being wrapped around you after years spent out in the cold. But as we've been scrapping tooth and nail for that little bit of real community and connection, I wonder if our, let's be honest, desperation to take hold of the welcome which God's church must indeed ought to afford to everyone without consideration, I wonder if that desperation might just have blinded us to a greater calling which has been placed on all of God's people. Consider the other passage that we read for today, the calling of King David by the prophet Samuel. At this time in the story, when this passage begins, Israel already had a king, King Saul. And now Saul, by the way, this wasn't just any king. This was the king. This was the king who had risen his people to greatness, led them through war and struggle. And despite being followed by the far better-known line of his eventual rival, Saul is generally regarded as the first monarch of the United Kingdom of Israel. And at this time, he is still king. He's ruling from his throne in the capital city of Gebeah of Benjamin. Now, before today's story begins, though he had kind of started breaking away from the guidance of the prophet Samuel, and he started performing his own sacrifices to God, waging war against Israel's enemies in his own way, making compromises that resulted in greater resources and power coming to the throne, to Saul himself. In response to this, of course, God rejects Saul as king. God withdraws divine support from Saul's kingship and instructs Samuel the prophet to seek out the next person that God has chosen for kingship, rulership over the united kingdom of God's people. And that brings us to the city of Bethlehem in what would one day in the distant future become to known as Judea, the home of Jesse and his many sons. Now, God has already told Samuel that among the great number of Jesse's sons, they will find the one who God has chosen as king. And thus begins of the presentation. Now, both Samuel the prophet and Jesse of Bethlehem, they think they know what God is looking for in a king. And in fact, right off the bat, they first both thought that Eliab, who presumably is Jesse's oldest, must be God's chosen king based entirely on his appearance. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel listens, because of course he does. And he goes back to checking through the list of sons, kind of working his way down. And as God rejects each and every one of them on similar grounds, it eventually comes out that Jesse may have stacked the deck just a little bit and left his youngest one out of the presentation entirely. I mean, after all, his, his youngest was the, the sheep keeper. He didn't know anything about the appearance of power and prestige. He didn't know anything about the, the fine arts of kingly presentation or fine and cultured speech. And yeah, okay, we may have been handsome. It was more in a rough and ruddy sort of way. It wasn't in any way that was refined or developed. So when it came time for Jesse's family to answer the summons, to come together and meet with Samuel Prophet to decide who next would be God's anointed king, young David was quietly shown the door. He was left out in the fields, doing work that needed to be done, while all the rest of the family gathered together in their Sunday best to push and preen for power. Sound familiar at all, guys? Look, I think that we can all get lost, so lost. And what we think is right and careful and safe, we can get wrapped up in our ideas of what is judgmentally correct and in doing so lose sight of how undeniably radical our God truly is. You see, our God does not care for those who look the part, those you might expect to see setting the course for the whole church. Our God does not look to what has been as a map for what is yet to come. Our God does not come to Jesse's house looking for Saul the warrior. God comes looking for David the shepherd. David, the non-traditionally attractive, David, the conspicuously absent. David, the out caring for the sheep instead of embracing the sanctity and sacrifice of kingly appearance. David, the unseen. David, the quietly unwelcome. David the king, try to find out. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible. This, this right here is the truth that Samuel had been tasked by God to figure out in that moment. The truth that Paul was communicating so clearly to the church in Ephesus, even though it's kind of confusing and problematic to the rest of us. And this is the truth that most of us are still wrestling with today. What is pleasing to the Lord isn't the secret shameful lusts of the proud and the powerful. It's not the judgmental criteria of those who think that they can see at a glance what is right and pleasing in the eyes of God. Remember, by the way, Jesse did not proudly or clearly intentionally proclaim his desire, his willingness, his intent to leave David out of the selection process. No, he just quietly showed him the door, sent him out to the fields without ever even stopping to think whether this ruddy little boy might actually be the great king that God has already chosen to lead God's people into the future. But when the powerful falter and fail, when the prideful like Saul place their own desire for power and control above the word of the Lord, when the well-meaning like Jesse and their determination turn away from those who tradition and practice and common sense tell them couldn't possibly be welcomed into the divine halls of God's house, let alone called to a role of leadership within it, God says otherwise. In the world today, the powerful of the church have faltered and fallen. Nearly every denomination of the universal church has been divided over the sins of powerful men screaming into the world their hateful rhetoric and determined insistence that not everyone is welcome in the house of the Lord, that some folk are in fact ruddy-faced and unwanted, unnecessary, unneeded before the obvious kingship of better truer Christians. Well, at the same time, at the same time, the entire LGBTQIA community, the poor, the immigrants, the refugees, the prisoners, the widows, and all the broken of the world are sent out to the field in search of lost sheep. And as all who have been sent away from the church, are wandering around those fields. They start to find more of the lost in the vulnerable, hiding in every crack and crevice into which they might have retreated. And they form together in spaces of fellowship and community, gathering together in candlelight and starlight, a church of table scraps, while Jesse's lineage sacrifices and feasts in the painted halls and sanctuaries of old kings and queens in exile all ordained by god not just to be welcomed grudgingly into a community that just happened to remember that they exist out there somewhere but the next phase in the evolution of christ's body here on earth my friends my dearest siblings in Christ, who the churches and temples of this world have called insufficient, my most beloved friends, who the powerful and the privileged have ignored and forgotten about while pursuing an image of piety and perfection that God never asked for and which is unappealing in the sight of the Lord. Most beloved of Christ, God has not called you to be welcomed. God has ordained you king god has ordained you queen god has ordained you leader and ruler the standard by which the next stage of our institutions of faith at work in this world will be measured and in the presence of your siblings fathers and mothers and all those who thought they knew what church must necessarily be for now and for always in their presence god has ordained you and the spirit of the lord shall come mightily upon you all From this day forward. So as you go out into the world knowing that God doesn't care to uplift another version of the same failed king that the divine just turned away from, knowing that God sets the future by looking to those on the outside, looking to those who others have rejected and cast aside, knowing that our God reaches for that cornerstone that all the builders refused, knowing all that, you can go secure In the knowledge that you are not only welcomed but empowered, not only invited but encouraged, not only sought after but looked to as an example of the divine's first best choice to lead. So take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, the the shady dealings of the powerful and the privileged who came before, but instead commit yourself to exposing them all. For what they do in secret is shameful, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible, made clean in the light once again. Grasp firmly the authority given you in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Lord God, our creator, the maker of heaven and earth, know the full measure of your value to God and let your compassion guide all of us into a season that truly and better reflects an earth that may yet be as it is in heaven. My beloved and dear friends, God has sent for you all. And the people of the Lord will not sit down again until you have come home once more to lead us. Amen.